0: it was christmas eve 2002 people in middletown went to sleep dreaming of a white christmas and woke to a nightmare on christmas morning in 2002 a policeman entered the whole household to find all three whole lover women dead jean whole and her two daughters victoria and elizabeth all the phone lines had been cut and the only survivor found inside was nine-month-old baby madison who was left in the arms of her deceased mother, Victoria. Law enforcement immediately knew that the murders had been premeditated and extremely personal. But who would commit such a horrible crime and pull apart and break a whole family on Christmas Day? This is the tragic tale of the Holava family Christmas massacre. Jean Holover was born on the 8th of December 1959 in Jonestown. She was very kind and giving as a child, traits she carried well into adulthood. Many described Jean as someone who always wanted to help, even when the person in need was a stranger. Some even believed that this passion for helping others prompted her to go into the medical field as an x-ray technician. Ernest Holover was born on April 23rd, 1960. Very little is known about Ernest's formative years, however, it is known that he owned a truck company in Pennsylvania. It's unclear how Jean and Ernest met, and when exactly they tied the knot, but it's public knowledge that they had two daughters together once they were married. Their first daughter, Victoria, was called Vicky for short, and the family's second daughter was Elizabeth, who was called Izzy for short. The family of four lived together in a house in Middletown, in Pennsylvania. Although the Lover family seemed like the perfect picket fence family for the longest time, Jean Holava would later discover something unforgivable that would tear the family apart and end her marriage to Ernest. In 2002, Jean Holava found out that the man she had been married to for over 20 years had been sexually assaulting their daughters, and it had all started with their first daughter, Victoria. Ernest abused Victoria, and would later ensure that their second daughter, Elizabeth, would suffer the same fate. However, as the older sibling, Victoria knew she needed to protect her little sister. So she summoned the courage, and told her dad that she wouldn't tell anyone about his abuse if he promised not to touch Elizabeth. Surprisingly, Ernest agreed to this, but Victoria soon discovered that despite their agreement, he still went ahead and started assaulting his second daughter Elizabeth. Victoria immediately reported her dad's disgusting activities to their mother, and a furious Jean had Ernest thrown out of the family home. She also took things further by reporting the incident to the police, pressing charges against him and filing for divorce. At this time, both Victoria and Elizabeth were 20 and 15 years old respectively. And because Elizabeth was a minor, Jean managed to obtain an order under the PFA. The PFA was the Protection from Abuse Act and contained the following stipulations. Ernest Holover had to vacate the home and was not allowed near the home or the woman per his bail release conditions. He was also prohibited from possessing or acquiring firearms. This particular clause was most likely added after authorities discovered that Ernest had several guns in his possession. In July 2002, the police took Ernest into custody, but at his first hearing he was set free on a $100,000 bail pending trial on multiple charges of sexual assault involving his daughters. Ernest's trial was set to take place on January 3, 2003, after the Christmas festivities During the trial, his daughters, Victoria and Elizabeth, were to take the stand. Little did they know what was to come. In the months leading up to the trial, it seemed that the three whole lover women were desperately attempting to pick up the pieces of their lives. Needless to say, the divorce and the events leading up to it hit Jean hard, but the mother of two tried to pull herself together. She continued to live in what was once their family home in Middletown with her second daughter Elizabeth, and she poured herself into her work at the hospital. At the time, 20-year-old Victoria, the family's first daughter, had had a baby girl named Madison and had also gotten engaged to a man named Jeff Martin. Victoria had been staying with Jeff, but she later decided to take her daughter and go over to her family's house to spend some time with her mother and sister. She recognized that this was a trying time and believed the three needed to stick together. Like any loving grandmother, Jean Holover doted on her granddaughter Madison. It's said that the presence of Madison during this troubling time really helped Jean recover. Ernest, on the other hand, was out of the family home. For the most part, he obeyed the stipulations of the PFA and steered clear of Jean and the children. After being granted bail, Ernest Hollover had no choice but to move in with his mother and his 28-year-old brother Scott. The family lived about 170 kilometers away from Jean, in St. Benedict in Cambria County. Things were looking good and the women of the Hollover family were adjusting to a new life without Ernest. They were moving on with their lives and looking forward to celebrating Christmas and a new year together. On December 24, 2002, Jean, her daughters, and her granddaughter were supposed to go over to spend Christmas Eve with Joe and Mary, Jean’s parents. The drive to Joe and Mary’s house usually took about two and a half hours from Middletown, and this was something the women were accustomed to because spending Christmas Eve with Jean’s parents was a family tradition. The tradition involved having dinner together, sleeping over, and heading home on Christmas morning. Only this time, Ernest wouldn't be present. Jean's mother, Mary, had been waiting for the arrival of her daughter, granddaughters, and great-granddaughter. Hours passed and the whole other woman still had not arrived. Seeing as it was getting late, Mary decided to call Jean to find out what was going on, but she couldn't reach her. More hours passed, and Mary became so frightened that she called the local hospitals because she feared that Jean and her daughters might have had an accident on their way. However, the hospitals reported that no such accidents had occurred. Mary would then call the Middletown Police Department and fill them in on the situation. In response, they told Mary that since it was Christmas Eve, Jean and her daughters were probably stuck in traffic and would be with her soon. However, they did mention that Mary should call back if Jean and her daughters had still not arrived later that night. All night long, Mary waited for Jean and the girls, but they didn't show up. It was now Christmas morning, and since there was still no sign of them, Mary called the Middletown Police Department again, requesting that they run a welfare check in Jean's residence. When the request came in, a sergeant named Robert Gilbert had just reported for duty that morning around 7am and was assigned to carry out the welfare check. Following the orders he had received, Sergeant Gilbert pulled up at Jean's residence and knocked on the front door. After receiving no response, he decided to go through the back door in the garage. The sergeant walked towards the garage and saw that Jean's car was still there. Sergeant Gilbert also discovered that the window on one of the garage doors was broken. Now alarmed, the officer walked over to knock on the garage door, and it fell open without Gilbert having to unbolt a lock. It was clear from that point on that the whole situation was sketchy. Without wasting any time, Gilbert walked into the house and found the hallway which led him directly into the kitchen. And there he came face to face with a gory sight. Here he saw Jean lying in a pool of blood. Immediately Gilbert called for backup and when other officers arrived, the crime scene was secured. As protocols demanded, Gilbert and the other officers decided to clear the house While they waited for the homicide detectives and the crime scene unit. While clearing the first floor, they heard the cries of a baby coming from the second floor. Instinctively, Gilbert and some of the other officers present went up to investigate, and to their horror, they were greeted by yet another gory sight. On the floor just outside Elizabeth's room was the body of 20-year-old Victoria, and though she had been dead for hours, Victoria held her nine-month-old baby Madison in her arms. Baby Madison was immediately taken to the hospital while Gilbert continued to clear the house. He looked through the room Victoria was lying outside of, and on the bed inside the room, he found 15-year-old Elizabeth in a pool of her own blood. All three whole other women were dead. When detectives got to the scene, they were able to decipher that the woman had been killed with a single shot from a twenty-two caliber gun. The discovery of the three women left the authorities baffled, as they could not help but wonder who would have done such a terrible thing and why. After experts had examined the scene, it was theorised that the ladies were shot around 4am on Christmas Eve, when Jean Hollaver usually got up to get started and prepare for work. The theory suggested that she was probably making herself a cup of coffee when the assailant shot her in the head. Since Victoria was found just outside Elizabeth's bedroom, crouching over baby Madison, it was theorised that she had been upstairs when she heard the gunshot from the kitchen and wanted to check on her sister. She couldn't reach the room as the assailant had found her. While the gun was pointed at her, Victoria tried to protect her daughter and was eventually shot in the head. According to reports, Elizabeth was most likely the one who struggled with the assailant. This theory surfaced from the fact that Elizabeth had some burn marks on her hand speculated to be from holding the barrel of the weapon when the shot was fired. It was theorised that of all the victims, Elizabeth was shot at a closer range because there were burn marks around her eye where she was shot. As for baby Madison, she was lucky to survive the unfortunate incident since reports came back. That she had been left unattended for about 28 hours and was very dehydrated It happened on Christmas Eve and you had a nine-month-old placed in danger... And ...but for the concerns of the extended family contacting police... ...and the diligence of the police, the nine-month-old would have died too Upon further investigation, detectives found out... ...that the telephone line for the house had been cut... ...presumably to prevent anyone in the house from calling for help... Authorities also found out that none of the valuables in the home had been stolen, thereby ruling out the possibility that the attack could have been a robbery gone wrong. These discoveries led to the police to conclude that the murders were premeditated and that the murderer had personal motives. They were all shot in uh, basically assassination manner. In line with their gathered leads, the police began to look into people close to the family and interviewed some neighbours. One of the neighbours particularly stated that a man often came around Jean's residence and had even been at the house the day before the incident. When the police looked into this information, they discovered that the man in question was an antique dealer named Stephen Chapman. Initially, neighbors speculated that Stephen and Jean were having an affair, but Stephen refuted this claim by saying he had a wife he loved very much. He said his only business with Jean was buying old stuff from her. True to his word, when the police looked into it, they discovered that Stephen had been speaking to Jean about buying Ernest's guns. The police later searched Stephen's house and interviewed him a few times. Through all of this, Stephen showed total cooperation, establishing his innocence. Eventually, Stephen was ruled out as a suspect because he had a strong alibi. The next suspect that the police set their sights on was Baby Madison's father, Francisco Ramos. It was said that Victoria and Francisco had a very rocky relationship, The two lived together at some point in their lives and were known for their constant fights and arguments. They had an on and off again relationship, and when Victoria told Francisco she was pregnant with his child, he allegedly did not believe her until a paternity test was done. In the end, Francisco was ruled out as a suspect very quickly because he was said to have been an hour and a half away from Jean's residence when the incident happened. The third person on the suspect list was Turner Higgins, another one of Victoria's ex-boyfriends. Like Francisco, Turner and Victoria's relationship was also on and off again until they eventually broke up. Reports said he believed baby Madison was his and he was quite attached to her. His attachment to baby Madison gave way to speculations that he had killed the rest of the family and spared baby Madison as a result. In addition to this, police noted that Turner was often nervous during interviews and thought there was something there. However, Turner didn't have a criminal record and was very cooperative with the police the whole time. Plus he had a strong alibi, so he was eventually ruled out as a suspect. The final suspect was Jean's husband and father to her daughters, Ernest Hollaver. After the divorce, Ernest went on to live with his mother and brother Scott, and according to Scott, when Ernest returned to the house, he appeared angry at Jean, and would often tell anyone who cared to listen, that he would kill her. When the police brought Ernest in for an interview, he refused to give straight answers to their questions. He didn't allow them to search his house, and when they asked him where he was on the night his family was killed, he said he had been out with his brother Scott, spotting deer. When the police eventually got around to obtaining a search warrant to look through Ernest's home and Scott's truck, they found a notebook inside Scott's truck and a note in Scott's handwriting which stated, ''We were out spotting deer and coyotes.'' When the police interviewed Scott, he told them the same thing. Not satisfied with the answers they had received from the whole Lover brothers, the police decided to bring Scott in a second time. This time, they showed him pictures of his sister-in-law Jean, and his nieces, Victoria and Elizabeth. As soon as Scott saw these photos, he broke down and wept. The police waited for him to regain his composure, and when he did, they were in for the shock of their lives. He accepted a plea deal, and then he told them everything. Scott told the police that on the night of December 23rd, he had been out drinking at a local bar with Ernest, when all of a sudden, Ernest made the most bizarre request. Despite being fully aware that one of the PFA stipulations was that he was to stay away from the family house, Ernest asked Scott to drive him to Middletown to pick up the family dog. Since the ride would take about two and a half hours from where they were in St. Benedict, Scott said he didn't want to go at first, but Ernest kept persuading him, and he persisted in his persuasion until midnight. Finally, in the early hours of Christmas Eve, the younger brother gave in. According to Scott, when they reached Middleton, Ernest made him park his truck, a block away from Jean's residence, and then Ernest put on dark clothes, a hunting mask, and gloves. Scott also added that after changing clothes, Ernest took out two guns and headed towards Jean's house. Seeing as he was in the truck, Scott couldn't give a testimony about what actually went down in the house, but he said that Ernest was gone for about 10 to 15 minutes. In those 15 minutes, it is assumed from the police's theories that Ernest went into the house and attempted to get in through the garage door. When he noticed it was locked, he broke the window on the door and put his hand in to unlock it. Having gained entry, the father of two then walked into the hallway, connecting the kitchen and the garage, found Jean making her cup of coffee, and shot her in the head before going around the house and shooting every other person there except for nine-month-old Madison. It was speculated that Ernest killed Gene out of bitterness about their divorce and then proceeded to kill his daughters so they wouldn't testify against him regarding the sexual assault charges he was facing. His daughters had recently accused him of rape. And so he had uh, the best motive in the world. He was eliminating witnesses, the key witnesses in a rape case against him. Going by his brother's report, when Ernest emerged from the house, He looked agitated and immediately declared it was time for them to return to St. Benedict. During the 170km drive, Scott said they stopped at a remote Clearfield County location, and Ernest got out of the truck. He disposed of the guns, mask and gloves he had worn into Jean's residence. When Ernest returned from this detour, the two resumed their drive back home. After giving the authorities this detailed confession, Scott took them to the wooded area where they found evidence that Ernest had indeed been at Jean's house. Amongst the pieces of evidence recovered was one of the pistols Ernest used in killing his family. The police could tell through ballistic testing that it was indeed the murder weapon. They ran the gun serial number and discovered that the gun belonged to Ernest's uncle. On January the 3rd, 2003, Scott was charged with three counts of homicide as an accomplice since he had driven Ernest to what eventually became a crime scene. And despite claims by his lawyer that he was also a victim of his over-demanding brother, Scott was sentenced to 12 and a half to 25 years in prison. After his sentence, Scott was moved to Cumberland County Prison. Scott had said that his biggest regret in his entire life is that he didn't have the courage to stand up to his over-demanding brother. Ernest's trial was moved to another county because many people already knew about the case, hence his defense attorney feared that the jurors would be very hostile when deliberating. Aside from Scott, who was a central witness, several other inmates testified against Ernest Holover in court. These inmates included Robert Miley, Wilson Telavera, Stephen Stevens and James Meddings. James Meddings testified to all the incriminating things Ernest has shared with other inmates about the case. He said that Ernest had told him that he was going to hire an assassin to kill Francisco Ramos, the father of baby Madison, and also place what was supposed to be a suicide note beside his dead body. The suicide note would state that Ramos had killed Jean and her daughters, thereby setting Ernest free. After James found out about Ernest's plan, he mentioned it to an officer, who then worked with other officers to send in a DEA agent to pose as a hitman. The agent was from West Virginia and often came in undercover to listen to Ernest talk about his plans to pin the death of his family on Ramos. James and the agent testified against Ernest in court, adding more fuel to already fired up evidence. During Ernest's trial, the jury acquitted him of the sexual assault charges since both his daughters were dead, and there was no one to testify against him. Ernest was however charged, with three counts of first-degree murder, conspiracy, reckless endangerment of Madison, burglary, and other charges. Based on the information from a Press & Journal article by Jeff Lewis posted in January 2014, the Pennsylvania Superior Court ruled that the sexual abuse charges against Holava would stay on his criminal arrest record despite him being acquitted of them. According to the Superior Court, this decision was made because the sexual abuse charges were tied to the murders and Ernest Holava is not entitled to relief that would obliterate his record. When his murder trial was concluded, Ernest Holover was convicted of three first-degree murders in the shootings of his wife and his two daughters. He was sentenced to death on August 31, 2004. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court affirmed Ernest's sentence on August 22. Later, his petition to the US Supreme Court seeking a review was denied. Ernest is now 60 years old, and he currently sits on death row in Dauphin County Prison. Ernest Hollover is such an awful man. He tore apart his family and made his daughter's lives a living hell. I'm so glad that Jean believed her daughter Victoria when she was told that their father was abusing them, siding with Victoria and Elizabeth, and kicking her husband of over twenty years out of the house. Ernest could have just walked away and faced the consequences of his actions in trial, but no he decided to take away the lives of three beautiful souls on Christmas Eve. The only positive to come out of this tragic story is that baby Madison's life was spared, and I hope that wherever she is today, she is doing okay and able to move forward from this heartbreaking tragedy.